the spirit of worship, let us hear from the same God that we've been singing to. Because the same God gave us a word. And so while we're locked in with him, let's hear this passage from Matthew chapter 7. It says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. God, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you are reliable. You're a God who has made promises. You're a God who's given words to us. The same God who has spoke to generation after generation. And so God, help us today to be that same kind of people that are open to what you are doing, that have ears to hear what you have to say to us. God, as we continue in this service, give us us the eyes to see, ears to hear, openness of heart to hear what you would have to speak to us today. God, there is nothing like getting to follow you, like getting to serve you, like getting to be one who wears the name Christian. And so God, today, help us to hear what you have to say to us. All these things we ask in the strong, powerful, mighty, and reliable name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I love open Sundays. Uh, Like as we go through like a teaching calendar and stuff, like we sometimes have a Sunday that happens to not be in the middle of a series, which is what today is. And I get to have the privilege of teaching in an open Sunday, which means anything goes, which, why are y'all nervous already? (laughs) We were just in like this holy moment and we were having a great time. All right. So one of two things happens on an open Sunday. Like one, I like going to passages that we never read out of our Bible uh, and just kind of cracking that open, seeing what God has to say. Uh, That's why over the last couple of years, you've heard a fair bit of judges uh, on these kind of open Sundays, just because we don't read that because it's unpleasant. But I also like to also go to like familiar passages that we've heard a ton. Maybe they've almost gotten that like, oh, I've heard that. I know where it's going. I'm kind of bored with it kind of feel. But then we kind of open up some lenses of context on it. And we get to hear it in a fresh way, in a new way, or see something that we may not have seen before. So that is what we're going to do today with the passage we just read. So... As a way to get us in, we're going to start with a little audience participation. I need y'all to say the phrase, keep digging. digging. Great, we're on fire. That is the entire point of the sermon this morning. That is the entire point of the passage we just read. And it's the entire point that Jesus had in his closer to the Sermon on the Mount. Because that's actually what we just read. This whole foundation, house building, storms happen, chaos hits, right? This whole thing is actually Jesus' closing statement 
to the Sermon on the Mount. Like Matthew 5 through 7 is one continuous sermon that Jesus is preaching where he's unpacking all kinds of things about what his kind of people are like. And he closes with this, which is supposed to wrap things up really nicely. But in order for us to hear it as it was intended, we're going to have to look at some context to really get underneath that. And so we're going to study this passage in context, which is a fancy way of saying, what did the author intend? And how did the original audience hear it? That's all it means. Now, that's important because we've got to remind ourselves, the Bible was not written to us. No part of the Bible was written to anybody who's in this room right now or watching online. It's been preserved for us so we can learn about it, read it, learn about this God that we serve, see what he wants from us, but also see what kind of God he's like and we get to experience him through that. But it was not originally written to us. As a matter of fact, when we go to read the Bible, it is an incredible cross-cultural experience that we are having. First of all, no one in the Bible spoke English. The Bible's written in like Hebrew, a little bit of Aramaic, and a bunch of Greek. Which is why we have all the English translations that we do, because everyone translated a little differently. By the way, all modern translations are great, they're very reliable, you can trust them, they're awesome, but... They're a way of getting it into our context so we can understand what's going on. But also, nobody in the Bible shared a time with us. Like, the last thing was finished, like, 1,900 years ago. Some of it was written 3,000 years ago. They don't share a geography with us. They're predominantly from the Middle East and a little bit of, like, the Mediterranean world. Uh, So unless you're from, like, Iraq, Jordan, Israel, or maybe some of, like, Greece or Turkey, don't share a geography with them. And we also don't share a culture with them either. And so when we go to like a familiar passage like this, you know, building a house on rock versus sand, there's a particular way that they would have heard this that might be a little different than the way that we hear it. So we're going to dig in on that and then allow the passage to speak for itself. Sound like a plan? Glad you're on board. Cool. So I brought some pictures with me. So this first one Uh, We need to actually talk about home construction in ancient Israel because it's going to help us understand what's going on. So this first one is an Israelite four-room house. Now, this is how all their homes were built. They're very, very small. They're a couple layers. But the interesting thing about these houses is anytime like in archaeology, archaeology, wow, uh, when we're digging, we find a house shaped like this, we know Israelites were there. They're like the only people that built houses like this. And so, that's even like how we kind of date the book of Joshua, like them retaking the promised land, because all of a sudden a bunch of these four-room houses start showing up in the land. And we're like, huh, I guess the Israelites were there. Uh, This next photo uh, is what Capernaum looks like today. Capernaum is the nearest city to where the story happens. So, in the background, you can start to see some foothills. That's roughly the area where Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. And so this is what a modern dig looks like that's going on in Capernaum. Eh, Back one, back one. Thank you. Um, And these lower walls here are actually houses. Uh, You're actually seeing three or four of them. They're not very big. That big building on the upper left is actually the synagogue. Uh, That's not the foundation of the one from Jesus' day. It's from like the 3rd or 4th century. But the synagogue in Jesus' day was directly underneath that. But that's roughly the sizing of a house. But this last photo that I want you to look at really shows you what it is like to actually have to put in these foundation walls of homes 
in this day. You see this top layer of sand, and then as you look toward the bottom of the phone, you start to see rock. And basically, when you were going to build your home, you had to dig through uh, varying degrees of levels of sand through ancient Israel as just dirt. And then eventually you hit bedrock, and then in order to actually build a house halfway decent, you have to dig into that a ways. It's an incredible amount of work. But then, once you've actually chipped away at the really difficult bedrock, then if you start your foundation there, your house can actually stand up. So with that in mind, and with this just remaining on the screen for us, I want you to hear maybe how someone originally hearing Jesus' sermon would have heard this talk about houses. So listen again to Matthew 7. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain came down, streams rose, winds blew, and beat against the house, yet it didn't fall because it had its foundation on rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Rain came down, streams rose, winds blew, beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Basic observation. It's the same house. See, for whatever reason, when I, for most of my life, as I've been hearing these stories, like, I grew up in Michigan, we have beautiful white sandy beaches. I was like, okay, house on sand, out by the lake, that seems kind of dumb. And then a house, like, up on the rock, like, up in the mountains somewhere. It must be easier to build houses in mountains, I guess. That was kind of foolish of me to think that. Uh, But that's what, like, popped in my mind, because that's just where I'm from and what I know. But for these people, Jesus is talking about the same building. The difference is in the depth. Whoever was building it, did they dig through the top layer of sand and not be lazy? Actually dig through that, dig into the rock, get going, still put in the hard blood, sweat, and tears, I'm sure, to get through that and actually put their foundation deep into the rock? Or were they foolish and just, eh, lazily build it on sand? The only difference is the depth. But see, Jesus isn't just giving a lesson on how to construct your home well so that when a storm comes, you'll be okay. It's that closer to the Sermon on the Mount. This is the analogy he chooses about what it's actually like to apply the words he's teaching. Right? Digging your foundation into the rock in this analogy is actually obeying Jesus. Like this whole sermon that he's been dropping, like the actual way that you dig is by obedience. See, the doing really, really matters in this passage, right? Because it's if you do what I'm telling you, then you built on rock and you're going to be able to handle whenever the chaos happens, whenever bad things happen, because that's life. It's going to come. But even when your life feels like a swirling vortex of entropy or whatever chaoticness you've got going on, You'll be okay. Or, don't put the words of Jesus into practice. Don't actually do them and watch everything fall. See, the doing in this passage really matters. Uh, If I were to sum up kind of that phrasing for us off of what Jesus is saying here, (laughs) if you don't do it, you don't believe it. Because, see, no one in the ancient world, Jesus certainly didn't behave this way. Like, no one had an idea of, like, you believe something, but don't 
do it. Like they didn't have an idea of like what we do now where it's like, okay, I believe some stuff. I kind of like take whatever beliefs feel nice. It doesn't affect anybody else. It doesn't affect like the rest of my life. Like work still goes the same. Life still goes the same, whatever. But I have these beliefs on the side. Like no, nobody thought like that in biblical times. The way you knew what someone believed was by what they did. And Jesus is pulling up off of this and saying, okay, cool. Now we're going to drop a house building analogy just to make sure we got the point. But also, keep in mind, like this is the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has said some wild stuff leading right into this. Right? Love your enemies. It's difficult. Take the two-by-four out of your own eye before you wash a little dust out of someone else's. Right? Uh, Set your own house in order before you criticize the rest of the world. That's difficult. Don't let hate grow inside of you. Tell the truth. Don't worry about so much stuff. Right? If God is in the business of clothing birds and flowers and they seem to be doing okay, he can probably take care of us too. And so, by which of you can add, like, a day to your life by being anxious? So don't worry about it. Worry about today, tomorrow, take care of itself. That's a hard principle to put into practice. That's rough. And it's not an accident that Jesus uses the analogy of digging. When's the last time y'all used a shovel? Right? It is hard work using... A shovel. Uh, this is actually one my father-in-law gave me when we moved into our house uh, across the way. Because he saw that we had field stones in our yard. And was like, hey, son-in-law, uh, you're going to need this. <laughs> As it turns out, it took several hours to dig out like 30 or 40 field stones uh, from our yard. But hey, we made a firing out of it. So it was nice. Uh, it was actually kind of funny. When I first got married, I worked for a landscaper and my hand wasn't used to wearing a wedding ring. Uh, and so I've actually still got a permanent callus in my hand where it kind of like dug at me because I had to dig all day. Because it's tough work. But also, this isn't just like a fun analogy that Jesus thought he'd be creative with. Like this is how he's applying like our lives, right? And so even on the basics, like there's a few easy ones we can think through, right? Like the blocking and tackling of faith, like the basic stuff, like showing up to church, right? As Pastor Torin brought a couple of weeks ago, right? For whatever reason, God has decided that the assembly of believers is one of the unique ways in which he's going to meet us. As in, like, the church gathering is one of the ways God has decided, hey, that's where I want to meet my people at. But if you only come once and it's like, you show up the first time, you're like, man, I did not feel that. I guess I gave it a go. I guess not. It's like you went to go dig a trench and you're like, all right, first go. Oh, it's not a, tr- it's not a trench yet. And I guess I got to give up. No! Continue showing up. If you show up to 100 church services and nothing is different, let's chat. But keep digging. What about prayer? Like, maybe you are praying that God would change something in your world. Maybe you've got an anxiety that you do need to be able to let go. Maybe you've got something that you're praying for someone's healing over. Maybe you're like, God, can you break this addiction even a little bit? Don't just pray once. 
forget who said it like last week, week before, but push, pray until something happens. Yeah, pray until something happens. Dig in, work that thing through. When it comes to reading our Bibles, again, prayer and scripture, like those are ways that God has chosen to actually meet us. And so it's not just like an empty exercise of like just trying to get a little smarter, read some verses, we're good. No, God has decided that that's one of the ways he wants to meet us. Yeah, you know what? You're 5.30 a.m. because you all wake up early. Um, devos and like that, the verse for the day just didn't hit quite right. And you're like, okay, try again the next day. Try again the next day. Keep pressing in. If Rome wasn't built in a day, neither are us like spiritually going to be built in a day. Allow for some time and space. But even beyond like faith basics, this gets into every single part of our lives. So a couple of weeks ago, um, Abby, my beautiful, beautiful wife, Abby, uh, took like our girls to the library because she wanted to show our toddler like how libraries work. And so she was like taking them through like, hey, here's how they do like the decimal system. And like they got library cards. It was all adorable, right? Um, and so while they were there, uh, something happened. And so when they came back, I was like, oh, something kind of weird happened at the library today. I was like, okay, cool. What's up? And she was like, yeah, um, there was this kid that was there, like with his mom, but like for whatever reason, like mom wasn't necessarily fully engaged with him and he was just kind of wandering off. And so apparently the first time she saw, like Abby just asked a question of the kid, like, hey, little buddy, what's your name? And apparently from that moment, she could not get him unglued from her side. Because, like, she paid, like, a minimal amount of attention to him. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's kind of funny. That's kind of weird. I mean, like, I did that all the time when I was a kid, right? Like, any, any adult paid any level of attention to me, I just, like, was glued to them until I had to go somewhere. And she's like, no, Chad, that's not normal. That's a typical marker of abuse from neglecting kids. Oh, we had some digging to do. Now, I'm familiar with how I grew up, and so Abby and I grew up a little differently. Abby is from what you would call a happy house. And there were some seasons and moments where mine was not. But also, if I'm out here trying to be the absolute best husband I can be for Abby in order to honor God, if I'm trying to be out here like to be the best dad I can be in order to raise children that know Jesus, I'm going to have to deal with my whole life, not just the part I put out now. It's not like you're just like here and nothing else has happened in your life. You actually have to work through whatever that is. Like I was talking about this with a friend uh, about this sermon and like some of the analogies and stuff. And he was helping me kind of work through it. And he was like, yeah, you know, maybe at weddings, uh, rather than exchanging rings, we should exchange shovels. Because <laughs> it's a lot of work. <laughs> and now, I understand, this ain't exactly romantic. Uh, probably not as good as diamonds. Sure. But marriage is a lot of work. He also made this comment to me. He's like, yeah, divorce happens when one or both of you stop digging. He's not wrong. But even beyond relationally, things to dig into to continue to pursue God well, 
This gets in professionally. Like maybe you're trying to build a career. Maybe you're trying to build out, okay, what am I going to do for work? Maybe you got some dreams going on and you applied for something. You're like, I think this is it. And you did not get the job you wanted. Heck, maybe you found out that you have no job. First of all, give yourself like an hour to be sad about that. Maybe more than an hour. But also, while you're processing that, take that to God, but also start working angles of like, okay, God, if that's not where you have me, where to next? What can I do next? Where should my life be directed? What am I doing? Where should I be going? How should that flesh itself out? What do you have in mind for where I need to be at? Because you've got a bigger idea than I do for my life. So let's chat. Maybe you're a student and you, for the life of you, cannot write one more paper. And this week, as the assignments came in, you thought dropping out was a lot better idea than finishing the degree. First of all, if you're already in school, finish school. Don't give up on the diploma process. But also, you have no idea what kind of door that may lead to that God opens. Maybe... You need to be extra qualified for some place God's going to put you to have some major impact. Go get overqualified. But even broadly, as we're like trying to figure out things, like in all of us, so we're at a church. It's not a surprise what we're doing in here, right? When we broke out in worship, it probably wasn't a shock to you, right? There's a cross in the front of the building. Anybody who was surprised that a church service broke out is probably gone at this point, right? We're here for a very obvious reason, right? We're here for Jesus, which means that most of us have probably asked ourselves the question like, okay, what does God actually want for me? What's God's plan for my life? What's my direction? What am I supposed to be doing First, uh, he gave us a few hints uh, called the Bible. Uh, but beyond that, even specifically, before he left earth, he left us with this great commission. Go, make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all the commands I've given you, and then I will be with you. First of all, just an observation. The presence came after the call to obedience. That's for somebody. But while we're trying to figure out specifically for us, what that living that out can be. Maybe the question in the meantime is, okay, what helps me disciple other people best right now? What helps me to, first of all, learn the commands of Jesus, like learn what he actually expects of me so that I can actually help someone else? Like, am I the right person yet to be doing that? And allow God to form you in that process. But also like, what if when we're debating like moves or career adjustments or maybe like we're about to get shuffled again because a bunch of you work at Whirlpool and LDP shuffles you around a bunch, right? As you're going into that, okay, what in this system helps me make other disciples best? If you've got kids and you're debating a move, like, okay, does moving help or harm my kids' ability to follow Jesus? It's a worthwhile question to ask. But there's a lot, like, as you are honestly pressing into it, like, God will help direct what's going on, but also, rather than wait for theoretical skywriting, start obeying the things he's already said. I mean, Sermon on the Mount is a great place to start. And when he speaks into that, follow that too. Keep digging. What about when the loneliness hits? 
right? So most of these examples have been, you know, when you're younger, but also, like, as you get older, your social circle tends to get smaller, right? Generally, we all peak in high school or college, depending on that, and then, like, the number of people we hang out with just kind of lessens over time. Uh, And then, of course, there's two kinds of people in this room, those that have retired and those that are counting down the days. But also, when you stop having, you know, friends and coworkers that are paid to be near you all the time, your social circle gets smaller, and there's less and less people that you see, less to do. You interact with people less just because you don't have as much to go out for. So what happens when the loneliness hits? I remember my grandma. She's passed now, but she was an amazing woman of God, uh, but also in those final years leading into that time, she, uh, we ended up having to move her into assisted living because she needed more care than what my family could provide for her. But also, she was still doing pretty well, so she was on the really independent side of assisted living, uh, and she was the extrovert's extrovert. Like, anytime she had the energy for it, she would, like, go out in the hall, like, anybody whose door was open, she would just chat them up for fun, uh, and then she'd, like, go early to dinner and stay late just to, like, chat with anybody who's around, because she just had thought it was a hoot. Like, just talking to people, being with them, just like, oh, I find you interesting. Even if they were the most boring person on earth, she found something interesting about them and would just, like, talk to them, but, you know, some days she just wouldn't have the energy to go out as much, so she would stay in her little apartment uh, by herself, and then maybe order the food in. That would be for dinner, because they had that option. And I remember going to see her uh, once, um, and more, I visited her more than once. That sounded terrible. Um, went to go see her this one time, and I, I sat down, we were, we were just chatting, and I noticed her Bible on the nightstand, which was not unusual for for grandma, but it caught my attention because it was an NIV Bible. I was like, that's kind of odd. So, you know, picked it up, kind of looked at it. I was like, hey, grandma, like, I thought you were like a King James only kind of person. Like, this is an NIV Bible. Like, did you lose your other one? Or like, do I need to go get one for you? She's like, no, 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 no. Um, well, it was falling apart, but also like, I just wanted a Bible that like read how I talked. So I just got a different one. Fair point. But then as I was flipping through like the front of this thing, I started seeing like a list of dates in the front. And there was like 25, 30 of them or something like that. Some of them were spread by about like a year apart. uh, But most of them were a couple of months, maybe three or four. And like recently had gotten to maybe like one or two months apart. I remember like (laughs) that moment where like you're like, oh no. You get some like relational dread that just kind of fades up in you. You're like, I really hope this isn't how often her grandkids come to see her. Really hope that we show up more often than this. I mean, there's a lot of dates, but we're usually separated by like a month or two. So, one thing that I would encourage you look under the rock. If you think there's a snake under there, still pick it up and look at it. Just be like, okay, confirm what you are afraid of, and then work from there. And so it's like, hey, Grandma. Um, what are all these dates in the front? She's like, oh. Whenever I get to the end of my Bible, I just mark the date in the front and start over. (laughs) Y'all, there were 30 in her new Bible. 
life goals. But what she had figured out is that a great antidote to loneliness is more time with Jesus. When she had the energy, she would go out and like hang out with all of her friends or people that had not quite become her friend yet, but gosh darn it, she was going to make them be her friend. But even when the energy wasn't there, she would spend more and more time with Jesus. And so here's the good news about digging. You always hit Jesus. No matter how much sand and chaos there is to dig through, no matter how hard it is to work through the bedrock of whatever else is going on, you will hit Christ eventually. That's the good news in this passage. It's like, yeah, I know it's difficult to actually apply the love your enemies bit. I know it's difficult to stop worrying about so much stuff. I know it's hard to actually deal with your own issues before you criticize everyone else for theirs. But work into that. Because you will find Christ in the midst of it. Because when the storms happen, because notice the storm happens in both scenarios of these homes in Matthew 7. Right? Storms hit. But if you're found on rock, you still get that peace that makes absolutely no sense. And you'll be okay, be able to make it through that because you're with Christ. But if that foundation is just sitting on some sand, you're going to fall apart. I've tried to add... Uh, a bit of a new practice in my life lately uh, because most of my existence is dependent on my ability to use words. Well, and so I, someone was like, oh, just read some fiction. You'll get better at talking. And I was like, well, okay. And so I was just like Googling like best book of all time. Like to try it because I don't know much about literature. Um, if it's not the Bible, I'm pretty dumb about it. And so I was like, I don't know, best book of all time. And it's like one by... Um, Fyodor Dostoevsky, uh, the brothers Karamazov, was apparently one of the best of all time. Uh, it's, he's a Russian guy that wrote it in like 1880. And I thought, you know, now's a great time to read classical Russian literature. <laughs> it's in English. Like, I don't speak Russian. Like, kudos to you if you've got it. But there was an interesting line in the book that stood out to me. Because what had, what had happened in this particular scenario is Ivan, one of the sons, uh, made this ridiculously logically coherent and just detailed argument about why he does not believe in God. It was very detailed. It was very long. But also the father figure in this story, who's good for nothing else besides this line, said to him, Ivan, the reason you don't believe in God is because you haven't thought about it enough. And that stuck with me. Right? Digging in, using your brain as much as you can, your heart, everything God has given you to dig into whatever is there. Eventually you will be able to hit that foundation that is Christ. It will happen. And so the good side of these things is that we're actually able to know that the work we're going to put in is going to pay off. The work that we're going to put in to know this God that we say we love and we serve and we do we will have that foundation. Even if the day-to-day, it's not feeling like things are all together all that different. Even if in the day-to-day, it's a little stressful. Even if things don't break our way and the chaos feels like it's about to win, we still can trust the fact that Jesus is who he said he is. 
in the fact that there is nothing better to bet our lives on than Christ. So as we wrap this service, let's just sing one more song together so we can really embrace the fact that Jesus is who he said he was.